My name is Peter Murphy-Lewis, and welcome to the LTC Heroes podcast. Join me on this journey as we deep dive into how long-term care leaders, like you, are overcoming obstacles with unparalleled solutions. I hope these curious conversations contribute to the care of your residents. Welcome back to LTC Heroes. I'm very excited today to talk to Lola Rain. Lola Rain and I met over the internet through LinkedIn and email a couple weeks ago. And not only is she extremely knowledgeable about marketing and sales and helping facilities grow and be sustainable, she's also well-connected. She's connected me to industry leaders that you will be hearing on this podcast quite soon. So before I welcome her in, I want to give you a small introduction about Lola. Lola Rain is a growth strategist with Senior Living Foresight. She helps organizations develop revenue goals and marketing strategies for achieving those goals. As a past winner of Leading Age California's Best Practice and Innovation Award, Lola is recognized for her innovative approaches. Lola, before we dive into our topic today, which is occupancy, census, improving your profitability, I always like to start off the podcast with three simple questions. Are you ready to dive in? I am. Fantastic. What actionable or valuable advice do you believe that we will cover in our chat today? I think that there's going to be an aha moment where your listeners are going to go, wow, I didn't think of that. I love aha moments. You got, you already have me interested. What is one lesser known book, newsletter, or industry resource that you would recommend to me to learn more about long-term care? Well, I wouldn't say it's lesser known, but SeniorLivingForesight.net, that is the company that I work with, with Steve Moran, and that is a great um, publication, online publication, for you to learn a lot about industry best practices, challenges, and uh, lots of in-depth information about what's happening now in the industry. I support the recommendation because I've already watched your all's TV show and watched Steve Moran's interviews on LinkedIn. And I, and I remember our first chat uh, that you're also friends with Chip, Con- Chip Conley. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So if you don't know who Chip Conley is, you all go stop your car right now, stop your lawnmower, put your shovel down and go Google Chip Conley's uh, uh, emotional equations. Okay, let's let's move on to our chat, but I just had to plug his book. I love it. Uh, all right, Lola, name one mentor or someone who's influenced you in the long-term care industry that is active or has been important in your life and the rest of us should follow. Jack Cumming is one of the advisors of Senior Living Foresight. He is a fantastic mentor to me. He has um, been in uh, actuary um, for for his entire career, and he currently is retired, lives in senior living in Southern California. So not only does he have some industry experience, but he has insider experience on what it's like to be an older adult living in a community. Great. Look forward to following. And we'll, we'll put uh, notes and links to him uh, if he's online so the rest of you all could follow. So let's jump into our topic, Lula. Today, we're going to talk about occupancy, census, and talk about specifically how facilities can help improve their occupancy. Why is this topic important? This has been one of the biggest topics for the last month, even prior, um, because of the pandemic and because 
the National Investment Center for Senior Housing has just released its report that shows we are at the lowest rate ever since they began um, keeping track of occupancy in 2005. And we've had huge drops quarter over quarter. And the trend, the downward trend actually began before the pandemic. The pandemic has definitely impacted the huge drops in occupancy. Um, but this, this is of concern because everybody is looking at how are we going to rebuild occupancy? It's um, a stressor that is, is in everybody's plate right now who oversees sales and marketing in senior housing. And it's something that I am really passionate about, helping people find a solution by changing their attitude towards occupancy. I think that's the first step. What is the reason for the decline even before the COVID pandemic? So we've been talking about this internally at Senior Housing Foresight. Um, we've looked at everything from consumer trends. You know, the boomers are, are aging and they want something different than their parents have traditionally wanted in senior housing. Um, we've also been looking at other um, economic factors uh, and just environmental factors. Um, there is a huge distrust of senior housing that has come from the media. And this was even pre-pandemic as well. So every single time there was a bad story that came out of senior housing, uh, it was throughout the media, but yet the media doesn't tell good stories about senior housing. So if there is a, um, you know, a, a 1% chance of something horrible happening in a community, the media is all over it. But all of those other fantastic stories of lives saved and people being healthier and happier living in a community setting, um, the media has not highlighted that. So that has been a, a huge um, detractor for people wanting to live in senior housing. Hmm. That that I'm sure that rings true. Uh, all that negative news is wonderful clickbait to help people drive traffic to their websites, not so much the happy stories. Lola, and on the personal side of things and professional side of things in in your in your past, how did you get involved in the marketing and sales side of long term care? So I started out my career in marketing um, in residential real estate and new construction about two decades ago. And about the time of the recession, 2008, I noticed a phenomenon that was happening in residential real estate. Every single time there was a transaction that involved an older adult who had lived in their home for 20, 30, or 40 years, there was a lot of tension and stress around closing that transaction. And the reason being is that the salesperson, the real estate agent who is handling the closing of the, the home sale was very stressed about how that person was going to get all of their belongings out of the home in time for the closing. So imagine you have a house you've lived in 30 years, you have it just jam packed with stuff. And now you have to move and you most likely have to move because of a crisis. Perhaps a spouse has passed away or you've had a decline in health. And now you're trying to figure out how to get your own belongings out of your home. The real estate agent wants to make sure you get them out in time. And the new home buyers are excited to move into their new home and don't want anything to, to detract from that happening. So this is what I observed over and over and over again when I was working in senior in um, in residential real estate. 
And I uh, decided during the recession to go back to school to get a master's in management focused on aging services so that I can help people during that transition of their life. That's, that's fascinating how uh, you made the jump from, from real estate over to LTC and how you brought those skill sets over. So let's, let's move in a little bit into how you helped facilities improve their occupancy and coach up the sales team. Let's go back two years before the pandemic. What were you doing in 2018? And then we'll compare it to what you need, what you're helping facilities with in 2021. Well, um, one of my biggest initiatives has been to to change the consumers' um, attitudes towards senior housing, and we've gotten rid of the F word, facilities. Um, we've worked really hard at trying to eliminate that word out of our vernacular because people, uh, when they hear the word facilities, they think of institutional living, they think of something less desirable, they think of, of senior housing or long-term care decades ago um, that when it had a terrible reputation. So we've, first of all, um, worked really hard at eliminating that word facility and and using the word community, because that is what long-term care and senior housing does, is it creates community. It creates an infrastructure for um, a village-like living, right? Regardless of what level and care you live in, you are getting a social structure as well as um, in most cases, a health structure, some a wellness, um, healthy eating, healthy living, and that is is hugely important to the work that I do. So the work that I've been doing prior to the pandemic is really um, focused on community communicating the value that individuals get from living in congregated housing. And how, can let's let's. Let's get into the actionable items. How do you help them do that? What, 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 what is the game plan when you move from away from the F word to the community? And then how do you break that down into when they talk to a visitor, when they talk to a prospect, uh, how do they explain the value that they have to the prospect or to the resident, the future resident? Well, like with any company, it starts with your branding and your marketing messaging. And so you you need to dive in and make sure that that messaging resonates with the people who are interested in living in your community. So you're building market demand. You're going out there and you're you're building your brand. You're communicating to a broader audience. Here's the value of living at your community. Um, there there are a lot of differentiating factors, but yet the consumers need to to hear them. And if you don't know your differentiators, then you're not able to actually communicate that with prospects. So really working hard at um, defining who you are as an organization and the value you bring. That, that is number one. Um, how, how would a community, I got rid of the F word, how would a uh, long-term care community be able to figure out those differentiating factors. And let, let, let's go, let's give an example, some that you worked with, you don't have to say their name. And then let's focus on specific di- differentiating factors that are helpful, like critical, like that if you, if you could design a community today, what would you like your differentiating factors to be? Because there's somebody out there listening when you're going to give these examples, they're like, oh, that's our community. And we just spelled out what's the ideal uh, scenario for them. One thing that makes a huge difference in your community are the people that work there. 
when we talk to frontline staff, they often say, my residents, that's their language. They take ownership. They believe they are there for the health and well-being of the individuals who live in your community. That level of commitment from your staff, from your frontline workers, is a huge differentiator. If you focus on that and highlight the quality of the people that work in your community of being not just professional, anyone can say we have professionals living in our building, but really get into the essence of who those individuals are and highlight the authenticity, tell the stories of the people who work there, why they work there and what is important for them. They're gonna be able to highlight the outcomes, the benefits of what the residents will experience living in your community. Well, can you give an example? If, if, you're, if you are a residential community that doesn't have a full-time social media you, uh, team, you don't have a camera crew, how could someone highlight their, their staff and bring out these authenticities? That's a great question. So when I was the um, director of digital media at Escaton in Northern California, I oversaw 30 communities. And I did that for five years. Part of my job was to go out and find the stories and highlight them through all of our digital channels, including social media. Um, If you don't have a staff to do this, the best way is to ask people to submit a story about themselves and a photo of themselves. So you could rotate through your staff. You could um, highlight a different staff member each month, just like you would in a normal newsletter. Uh, You get them to tell to answer a couple of questions, you know, some FAQs about themselves. And, uh, and then you highlight them on your social channels. You say that this is, this is one of our healthcare heroes. You know, we've been hearing that over and over again during the pandemic, but a lot of senior living communities have not been highlighting their frontline staff, have not been telling the stories of these unique individuals who make life better for all the older adults that live in the community. Let's say that you're a new administrator um, starting this month. Your staff is not your differentiator. You need to make some changes. Right now it's hard to make changes. What would be the next two or three differentiators that you think would help? um, And how do we communicate those to our visitors that are thinking about coming to stay with us? Look at your life enrichment. What type of programs are you offering the residents who live in your community? Are you offering health and wellness? And go beyond exercise. You know, a lot of people say no to to doing activities in their communities. So what are the one or two different activities that your residents love and enjoy? Uh, One of the buildings that I worked at, we had a word game that just drew everybody into that room uh, every Wednesday to participate in this word game. And, and people had fun and they laughed. And that was something that was a differentiator for that community because it brought people together to do something different, to actually maintain their brains, right? To use their brains in thinking about how to organize different words, um, similar to, a, to a Scrabble. But in, in this case, it, was, it also added that laughter right? The connection that you have with other people, which is hugely important to the well-being of each of your residents. All right, let's do one more. What other differentiator? Let's say that I don't have the life enrichment enrichments mapped out yet. Let's say that I don't have my staff figured out 100%. I'm getting to know them. Give me one other low-hanging fruit that 
communities might not even realize that they have, but that's what residents and, and visitors are looking for. I'm going to, I'm going to jump on the comfort food, right? Comfort food. So whereas food is always a huge complaint in a community and maybe your satisfaction scores are low around food, comfort foods are something that everybody can just gravitate towards, right? Is it, is it your macaroni and cheese? Is it your Salisbury steak? You know, what is it that you can highlight that Mr. Smith loves and is just ecstatic about, right? Who, um, your residents are huge cheerleaders for you. If you can get that testimonial out there mm -hmm. and show that as proof of something that, that your residents, your new residents can really gravitate towards, um, you know, find, find that, that thing that your dining staff or your, your um, chef, your cooks do fantastic and focus on that. Those are, those are great examples. At the beginning, when we first started chatting, Lilla, you said that consumers' behavior was also changing. How, how is that affecting occupancy and what can a community do uh, to, one, understand the changes, to embrace it, and three, take advantage of it to make sure that their occupancy is as, as full as the market and uh, their, their, their roof allows? So something we've been talking about in the industry for probably 10 years are how, how will the boomer generation impact our industry? And we've dove in to really look at the characteristics that boomers have. And, and those include um, wanting more options, not being told what to do, uh, a lot of flexibility around, um, around uh, the different amenities that are offered. So say, for example, you have a meal program in your community and it's just, it's just a uh, one size fits all. That's not really going to work for, for a lot of boomers. They want to say, oh, well, I only eat one meal a day. Or, um, you know, I, I prefer a totally different way of doing my meals. Um, think about how life has changed so much now with Postmates or Uber Eats, right? You can have anything you want delivered at any given moment. So somebody moving to your community, when you say you, ha you have to stick to this, this plan, um, they're going to say, well, I have other options. So why would I want to pay for something I'm not going to use? Hmm. That's, it, it's a totally different a la carte type attitude here. Um, we have to look at how does that fit our business model? Are there other industries who've had to shift for similar reasons? And how have they remained relevant and successful? You know, nobody wants to end up being irrelevant anymore. And, and the industry um, is, is scared that, Consumers are just not going to want to live in senior housing anymore. So what do we do about it now before it's too late? The other thing you've mentioned at the beginning that I would like to go into is the distrust, um, whether it be a joint effort or a jointly at fault, both media, social media, and also negligent um, facilities. But if you are a small mom and pop shop, um, senior living place in the middle of Kansas, how can you, what, what can you do to change the, the, the perception and this distrust towards facilities? 
So one of the best things is to do community outreach. You, your community has the knowledge, the expertise around aging and aging issues. How do you get involved with the greater community around your building and be that resource for them? How do you develop that trust with them? And a lot of programs are so easy. There's a lot of intergenerational programs out there, meaning let's bring kids into our community. Now that's been super hard during the pandemic. So communities that have intergenerational programs had shifted to online, but it's still there. It's still available for, for the residents to participate in. But what it really does is it builds the next generation of, of workers who are going to come and want to work in senior housing. Um, it, it opens up the children's eyes to that life can be good as you grow older. And then it allows their parents to understand this is a safe community for my, my child to go into or to be a part of. Um, I mean, personally, I got involved as, as a child dancing in nursing homes. You know, I was with a dance troupe. I went into, into um, different senior living communities when I was a child and um, it was fantastic. You know, I had my grandparents very involved in my life. I was never scared of older adults. And I've seen the inside of many different types of senior community centers. And that makes me an, uh, you know, an activist for the industry because I believe in what we do. If you've never set foot in one, you're scared of it. You don't know what's behind that door. All you know is what you've heard in the media. And so to change that perception, we have to invite people in. We have to, we have to give them reasons to come in our doors. And even if that is coming in digitally. I love that example. And your, your, your experience as a kid is similar to mine. Uh, I sang, uh, you know, Christmas carols, and then other times of the year, we would go through and, and visit senior citizens living in, in these communities. And then as an older, as an adult, when I helped my, my grandmother move into one and went and stayed with her and, you know, put up all of her pictures, uh, I didn't have that fear. But I do know people like, oh, that seems scary. What's it like? Does it smell weird? Are the people, you know, senile? And like, no, no, they, they were just like they as friendly as I was when I went there when I was seven. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Can you give some specifics to, or some specific examples. If right now there's an owner operator uh, who who says, "I want to do that. I want to uh, follow up on Lola's advice and do community outreach. How do I do it? Let's help. Let's help that person brainstorm. What are some ideas that you can think of? What did you do when you were working in the past, and what have you seen other uh, communities doing that you admire?" So I've built fall prevention programs and brain fitness programs. Um, I've pulled together groups of people in uh, malls for brain fitness. I've done um, different classes for fall prevention where I've advertised on social media, in the newspaper, through email marketing and direct mail marketing and pulled people in to come to these classes. And you can pick any topic, um, decluttering, uh, cooking, healthy meals. It could be almost any topic and develop a, an event around it and, uh, 
and really focus on bringing people to that event. Again, regardless if it's digital, if it's a, a Zoom webinar, get as many people to it as possible because when they're exposed to your brand and what you're offering, they're going to build trust with you. Let's move back to, I think, what was my first or second question to you. I said, how could we help facilities in 2018 with occupancy? Let's fast forward three years. We're in 2021. Occupancy, as you said, is at the lowest it's been in a long, long time. What kind of plan could you help a community today improve their occupancy and improve that national average? So it comes down to resetting our attitudes towards occupancy. If you think about how many sales and marketing people you have per building, you have 100 apartments, you have two sales and marketing people to fill that, fill that community and keep it full. It's not just about those two people with the titles of sales and marketing. It's about every single person in your community. So step one, let's refocus. Let's assess whose responsibility it is to fill your building and keep it full. It is the responsibility of every single person in that building. Every single person from the person at the front desk who answers to the phone, to the people in dining services, to the people on the front line. If, if they all are committed to the quality of service they offer, the older adults, the residents who live in their building, then they are committed to making sure that they are filling the building with people who need them most. When somebody comes in or calls a community because they want more information, they're not just a looky-loo, they're there for a reason. They've either already experienced a fall or they've had a spouse pass away or they're just scared to live alone. So they've reached out for a reason. So it's not just the sales and marketing's job to sell that building. As, as a person is getting a tour or they're meeting other staff members, every single staff member needs to understand what their role is. And, and it's not just about telling the staff members what their role is. It's about getting them to drink the Kool-Aid and believe that their job is to make everybody's life happy, healthier, and safer. That's absolutely the role of every single person in that building. Mm, that 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 is uh, really really good, and I I like kind of the holistic approach that that everyone's involved. I had an experience about two months ago with uh, I called a dentist office for the very first time. Talk about a tangent here, Lola. Um, and the the customer service is just amazing, and the person's completely booked up. And she said, "Let me follow up." I said, "I thought in my mind this person will never follow up." She called me twenty minutes later, and I was busy. And I said, "Can you talk to my wife?" So I gave her my wife's phone. And my wife called me. She goes, "Peter, have you ever talked to a nicer receptionist from a dental office?" And she got us all signed up with my son as well and taken care of. I said, "No," but that person is on the marketing and sales team and she knows it because she's filling up the dental office. So that's a great example. What other steps Lola can a community consider to improve their occupancy? So alignment. So step two is to assess why your building is not full. So what happens is we like to find reasons. We like to blame things. So we may blame a person. We might may blame the environment, you know, Maybe it's not on a good corner. Maybe it's, it doesn't show well from the street. Uh, maybe, the, maybe it's the economic environment, the pandemic, for example. 
Um, or, or it's simply misplaced expectations. So if we believe that the building should be full because we have great food, well, that's misplaced expectations. So when leadership and management and the sales team are misaligned, everyone is to blame because the real culprit is a shared expectation, right? Like the reason that the building is not full is not one thing. It's multiple things. So everybody needs to be in alignment on what those things are that they can do, that they can tackle to make sure that the building looks the best it can be and that nobody is to blame, that everybody is working in tangent to fill the building. Mm, I like that, the alignment. Can you think of one simple task or responsibility that a community or a staff member might not realize that that does have an effect on their reputation and therefore effect on their sales and therefore an effect on their bottom line that a janitor or nurse's aide can influence and have an impact on? Absolutely. I want to go back to the answering the phone example that you gave about the dental office. So what happens after hours when somebody calls in? The phone may go to a different department. So say it's a CCRC and it's all of a sudden the phone is transferred back to the skilled nursing and somebody picks up the phone and says, unit C, they don't say the name of the company. They don't say, hello, how are you? All they say is unit C. The person calling has no idea what's going on here. That their first impression was unit C, does this person not care about anything? Do they not know what to say when they answer the phone. I mean, it's a, a terrible um, example of, of how to tarnish your brand, right? Like um, it, you've got to be nice. You've got to sound happy. doesn't matter that it might be nine o'clock at night. The person calling could be in a crisis. Their husband might have um, dementia and they're just at their wits end and are doing anything they can to find a solution. Mm-hmm. So everybody has to be in alignment in their in their approach to selling the community mm, that that's 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 fantastic it um I, another tangent lola but about two weeks ago my wife had to get a covid test to travel to south america and uh the 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 security security officer at the COVID testing was the friendliest human being that I've ever met. And when I was finished with her, I told her, I said, every COVID station should have such a friendly person like you. And she almost broke down in tears. And, um, and, and she, she, I mean, that is an amazing alignment of having your security officer. Um, ha- now she has somebody talking on a podcast in long-term care about how great this COVID office was. In, that's any a, other, go ahead. Yeah, that's a that's a great story because that made you feel good and then you made her feel good. So there's this symbiotic relationship, right? We're all humans in it together. We're all just trying to get through life and do what we need to do. And we wanna we wanna enjoy ourselves no matter where we're at. So here here your example, you're in line to get a COVID test, which in some cases can be a horrible experience, but luckily 
um, this was not a horrible experience. Yeah, similar to that of calling a community, right? Like it could be a stressful. You don't know if your your loved one is going to be sick or, um, you know, eat, was eaten poorly. And so when you call and you hear Unit C, instead of hearing that there's a human behind there and that that, that human is taking care of your loved one, your mom or your grandmother, whoever it is, uh, putting, you know, that auth- the authentic human voice to it is the diff- is, makes a huge difference. Well, and I'd like to give another example, too, that's similar. So um, one company had a voicemail system that was like Altel or something like that. So if the if the answering machine was forwarded to a certain person's desk, the answering machine would say, you've reached an Autel phone, the user's not available right now, or something like that. Again, this is this is something that has that could be controlled, but the blame all of a sudden ha- is, is on the IT department. Why did the IT department allow this to happen? That's not where the blame should go. Somebody needed to do due diligence, call the phone number, see what happens, and then find a solution to fix it. It takes more than one person to fix a problem. Indeed. Any other steps to improve occupancy this year? Yes. So shifting your approach. So step three is acknowledge your aha moment and do something about it. My aha moment recently, I interviewed a few um, vice presidents of sales and marketing at different organizations around the U.S. And I asked the question, what tools do you need to help with occupancy challenges? Now, I expected to hear things like a better CRM, better um, brand ads, better social media, you know, very tangible things is what I was looking to hear. And that's not what I heard. I heard people telling me, I need to listen more to my staff. I need to ask people, how are you doing? I need to practice empathy. I need to understand the schedules that people need because their kids are being homeschooled. You know, there's all of this soft touch that needs to happen right now because we are human beings and we do need to support one another. And that was a huge aha moment for me because I'm looking to see how can I support these organizations. And if I can support them with tools, fantastic. But what they need is something beyond that tangible tool. They need somebody to listen to them, understand them, and help them through a crisis or a a really tough time. And now that you've had a couple days or a week or a couple weeks to reflect on that. How are you going to take that and how are you adjusting to that aha moment? So I'm really focused now on finding balance. So that's my, my step four in, in this process of um, resetting attitude towards occupancy is the balance. Where do we um, really find the balance in a person's job? And yes, it does come to having empathy and respect towards each individual and what their job is and making sure that they have the tools that they need and the support, the emotional support that they need. But it also comes to balancing their workload and the expectations. So going back to um, alignment, making sure all expectations are in alignment Also, balancing, making sure that we are not putting too much focus on one person's responsibility to fill the building. And that's happening. I talked to to a salesperson yesterday, 
and who is overwhelmed. And you know, pre-pandemic, she had two open apartments and now she has 16. And she thinks it's her responsibility to, to, to fill that as fast as possible. And if you know, our, our um, forecasters are saying it could be 18 months before we start seeing a recovery and she feels like she needs to fill 18 apartments in three months, that stress that she's under is incredible. So finding the balance in each person's job duties to make sure that they've got the support, that they've um, got work-life balance, that they don't feel like the weight of the entire building is on their shoulders, to, to really give them the, um, the time to tell you how they feel by asking, how are you? And asking more than once, because people will automatically say, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I can handle it, it's my job, but we don't wanna burn them out. You know, we, we want them to, to be able to stick with it because they chose this job because they care about older adults. Some of the, the sales team members that you're helping must be doing a good job despite the, dif- the difficulties right now. So and they're probably hearing lots of serious concerns and anxiety about individuals saying, I don't want to go live in a facility where I'm going to be on permanent lockdown, where I'm going to be socially isolated. Have you heard that? And what are some of the sales team doing to combat these if they're true and if they're not, if they're fiction? Yeah, so so there's a, a lot of listening and a lot of empathy being practiced from the salesperson interacting with the prospect. Um, one of the, the uh, heads of marketing for a global organization told me that uh, they're more like social workers now because they're really having to listen to the concerns of the individual and, and being that, that resource for them. Like, um, you know, you could easily get on the phone with a prospect and spend 60 to 90 minutes just listening to their concerns. But that's a valid way to, to build that relationship because now they know that you will listen and not judge them and actually answer their questions. How realistic is it that, that you know, the, the, the smaller facilities or the facilities that are really down 5, 10, 15% in their occupancy are going to be able to survive this for another year or 18 months? Well, with good finances and good investors, they definitely will um, survive. There are you know, a lot of predictions that some companies will either be on the brink of, of um, bankruptcy and be bought out by larger organizations, which could help shake out some of the, the companies that just haven't been doing a good job. What we did note is that a lot of companies that struggled during the pandemic with infections um, may have already had bad uh, star ratings, you know, and, and maybe not have had the best internal practices, which hopefully these companies learned quickly how to adjust. But I have to tell you, the companies that are succeeding right now are the ones that invested in technology and innovation a long time ago. You know, they're, they're the companies who have been doing s- stuff different. They've, they've been um, already evolving. 
And they've survived and thrived because of um, being proactive and looking out further. Um, there, you know, I don't know how many times I heard during the pandemic from, from um, different tech companies, you know, I've been selling this product for five, 10 years and nobody would listen. And all of a sudden there's a pandemic and my phone's ringing off the hook and everybody wants the product today. And it's like they could have gotten the product five years ago, but no, they're waiting for for uh, a pandemic to do what they need to do to keep their residents safe and their staff safe. So those are the companies that have really um, done a good job during this whole situation are the ones who were forward thinking. What what nuanced ways have you seen sales team members interacting with prospects. I'm guessing that if in 2019, 90% or 95% of prospects were drop-ins, potentially phone, and then a drop-in visit in a tour, today everything's probably on Zoom, right? And Google Meet. How, how does that change their dynamic? And what have you seen being, uh, what adjustments have you seen that have been done successfully? So there's been a lot of virtual tours um, in, in a variety of different ways. So there's been the FaceTime, let's walk around the building and look at this apartment together. There's let's jump on a Zoom call with you and your family members and discuss the, the different reasons why you want to move into this community. Um, there, there's, there's even a mindset that if you just have a conversation with somebody and explain the benefits of the community and the reasons why you'll live longer in communal living, while you why you will be healthier and safer because somebody always knows where you're at. You know, these are these are things that you don't necessarily need pictures to to communicate. And um, the the pictures are great, but in the pictures you're selling amenities, you're selling the pool, um, you know, you're you're selling. Um, the dining room, and these are these are areas that haven't been used much over the last year. Uh, so, what are those benefits that make a person feel safe that you can actually explain and communicate that you don't necessarily need a virtual tour to do? I like that because I feel like a lot of times, you know, a lazy salesperson could get into just mentioning the features or the amenities, um, but if you do that that hard work at the beginning of working out your differentiators, those features turn into benefits. And that's what really makes the difference in uh, at the end of the day for having a prospect turn into a person who's part of your community. Exactly. Are there any questions that I haven't asked you today, Lola, or topics related to improving your occupancy that I, that I should have, or haven't asked that we should talk about? So the, the other thing that I think would be very valuable for your audience to know is around the value of, of life enrichment. So when it comes to occupancy, the life enrichment is absolutely essential because life enrichment not only attracts people, but it also retains them in your community. And without investing the resources, the people, into the position of life enrichment and activities, your community is not doing all it can 
to take the best care possible of the residents who are living there. Can you give a couple of examples of maybe misunderstanding life enrichment and wasting investments in something that is a misinterpretation and then also something is, that is a good investment? Sure. So most life enrichment departments have uh, very small budgets. They remind me a lot of school teachers. You know, we hear the stories of school teachers running out to the dollar store, spending their own money on poster board and glitter and, you know, things so that their students can make projects. Well, life enrichment directors have a, have a similar um, uh, problem, right? They, they have small budgets, but yet they want to offer so much to their residents. And life enrichment also has tended to be a one-size-fits-all. Here are the eight activities you have to choose from. And all of a sudden, people aren't showing up for those activities. And the life enrichment director is saying, well, I'm doing all I can do. But are they really understanding what they're able to do? Has management clearly explained that the life enrichment director can do more than what's been done before or do things differently? And we, we talked about the change in consumer behavior and how boomers want more options, they want flexibility. Well, if you're only offering this one size fits all program, it's not going to be attractive to the next generation of senior living residents. So dive in and look at how life enrichment and occupancy are intertwined and what can you do better to attract more people and what can you do better to make the people who are already living in your community stay there longer. I like that. I'm glad you brought up this last point because a lot of times in any type of business development, you tend to think that the most important variable uh, that's going to have an impact on your occupancy is probably going to be the most expensive. And you just gave an example of what might be the smallest budgetary item in a community center, uh, but can have a really big impact, especially on retention, right? It might not acquire the first person, but when the person first, first person plays with that word game that you mentioned, they fall in love and they said, I can't imagine being anywhere else. I'm here with friends. I'm here with caretakers. I'm here with smiles. And I'm here with someone who answers the phone and doesn't says, doesn't say unit C. <laughs> Exactly. You just tied that all up in a nice package with a bow. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lola, thank you uh, for joining today. And I always like to wrap up our chats here on LTC Heroes with two specific questions. And the first one is, if you were a younger version of yourself and getting ready to start in long-term care tomorrow, but with the knowledge that you have today, what advice would you give to yourself? I actually was lucky enough to think about this earlier. Thank you, Peter, for giving me this question ahead of time, because I really think that I should have been more aggressive. Now, I want to explain that because I was already very inquisitive. And, and being that I had 10 years of career experience under my belt when I moved to, to uh, senior living, I did ask a lot of questions, but I wasn't aggressive at helping to find solutions. And that also comes down to those understanding what you can ask your managers for, right? Um, if I could have asked my manager, hey, would you mind if I took a, took a crack at building out a program for X, 
right? One of the things that I remember being very inquisitive about was why are there no um, grief counseling or training on how to handle death in senior living? Staff members are, are not giving, given a crash course until they actually experience it, right? There's nothing on your onboarding documents or your initial new employee training program that says, when somebody dies, here's who to turn to. Here's a resource for you. Here's three things to do first. You learn all of this on the job. And when I asked the, this question to one of um, the nurses at the company that I worked for. And I said, why don't we have any training or support around this? And she said, well, when I became a nurse, we didn't have a class on it. You know, we went out the first time you experienced death, you walk out of the room, you cry and you get back to work. And while I really respect her and her generation, I do not think that that's the way it should be. And I wish I was more aggressive at finding a solution to help the people who worked in that company have the support they needed when a resident dies. That's good. That's good advice. Lastly, some of the listeners today are going to love your plans for action for improving occupancy in their senior community living uh, centers. Where can they find you online? Where, where can they reach out? Where can they see what you're sharing? Uh, how can they talk to you? So I'm on LinkedIn. Just search for Lola Rain. I'm the only Lola Rain on LinkedIn, so I'll be easy to find. And then also I encourage everybody to subscribe to seniorlivingforesight.net. When you subscribe, you'll get a daily email, Monday through Friday, that has a lot of great information, timely and relevant on what's happening in, in the industry today and some best practices around challenges that companies and individuals are experiencing. Wonderful. We will include those in the show notes. Uh, and I subscribe to the newsletter and have seen some of the content you guys are putting out. It's very lovely. Thank you, Lola, for joining us on LTC Heroes, and we hope to have you back on the program. Thank you. Visit ltcheroes.com to join our Facebook group for nurses and our exclusive LinkedIn group for LTC owners. Visit ltcheroes.com for your exclusive access today. This episode was brought to you by Experience.Care, the long-term care EHR backed by guarantees. Visit Experience.Care forward slash guarantee to get your free profitability consultation today.